Thanks for worshiping with us here this morning at Soma Northwest. My name is Bobby, one of the pastors here. And um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we have been, for the better part of this year, moving together on Sunday mornings through the book of Exodus. We've been looking at the journey of God's people Israel out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves, where they were under bondage for over 430 years. We saw God deliver them. We saw God move them in some pretty miraculous ways. We have, over the last few weeks, been looking at their time that they spent, the better part of a year that they spent at the foot of a mountain called Sinai, listening to God, receiving instruction from God, learning about their God and who this God really is. And what we have seen consistently throughout the book of Exodus is that Exodus is about God. It's not about the Egyptians. It's not about the Israelites. It's not about all the things that they went through. It's ultimately about God. It's about who God is, how God works, how God loves his people, what God is doing and has been doing in the world. We've seen a God who delivers a God who is faithful to his covenant, a God who is just, a God who gets angry and deals with injustice, a God who is compassionate, a God who is loving. We've seen that this is a God who has a name, who wants to be known, a God who is near, a God who is present. In the book of Exodus, what we've seen is that everything that happened and the way that the book of Exodus is written is not as an eyewitness account, a blow-by-blow detailed account. It's a story. It's a story that calls its readers back into remembrance of the book of Genesis to see that God's intent for this world was to reflect him, to reflect his beauty and his majesty and his glory And also that God intended for this world to be a place where he would dwell, where he would dwell, where his name would be known, where he would be with his creation. We've seen in Exodus that everything that God does for his people was rooted in a covenant that he had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and to Jacob, that their people that their descendants would be God's people and that through them he would bless the nations of the world. We've seen over and over and over again that God's number one goal in all of this was that the world would know is God, is God, that he is God and that he alone is God. But what we've also seen is that the book of Exodus points us forward, doesn't it? It points us forward and it gives us, uh, it makes sense. It helps us make sense of everything that would come after. It points us forward to an ultimate deliverance, an ultimate salvation, healing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Exodus points over and over and over again to Jesus to who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and the life that is found with him, that through Jesus, God's presence and God's glory 
is filling the earth. Because through Jesus, you and I who are followers of God, you and I who are Christians have God's presence living in us and with us. And where we go, the glory of God goes. Where we go, the presence of God is there. And I don't know about you, but for me, this has been a very, a very personal journey through the book of Exodus. Um, in teaching this most weeks, this has really grounded me. Uh, it's been very foundational for me. It's renewed a vision for me about how I'm supposed to be in this world, how my family is supposed to be in this world, what it means for our church to exist in this community and in this city, in this time and in this place. What it's reaffirmed is that God's call of his people has not changed. That God's call of his people has not changed. That we are to be priests. That we are to be a holy people. That through us, living in this world, in this time, and in this place, God is making himself known. That life with God, under the rule of God, is available now, in the present. And that is what true life really is. And so this morning, we come to the end of the book of Exodus. We, we are coming to the end of God's people's time at the foot of Mount Sinai. And what we are going to see together this morning is that as God's people leave Mount Sinai, as the close of one leg of their journey ends and another leg begins... Together, we are going to answer the question, what does it look like for us to follow God through our journey? And his, us, to be attentive and attuned to God's guidance and his leading in our lives, both individually and as a church. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, and we're going to look at the last Five verses of the book of Exodus together. Before we go any further, would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that your presence, that we would be aware of your presence here this morning. We pray that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open. We pray that your word and your spirit would speak to us this morning. We pray that as we leave this book of Exodus and we thank you for all of the things that you've taught us, all of the things that you've grounded us in over this year of walking through this book, we pray that this morning as we come to the close of it, that you would give us strength and power as we move on as we move forward into the next season of life as individuals following you and as a church that wants and desires to follow you in this world that you have us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as I read these last few verses, if you're able? Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So as we come to the close of the book of Exodus, these verses tell us that the tabernacle that we've been seeing and learning about, all of the instructions about its, uh, its construction, the materials used, the furniture in it, um, the place and the arrangement of that furniture, all of these things have come to pass. This tabernacle, this tent of meeting is finally built. And God's presence, as he promised, comes is that when God's presence fills this place. But what's interesting here is that when God's presence comes, it's almost too much presence, isn't it? Because Moses is not able to go in. What we're seeing here is a reminder that this God who is near, this God who is present, this God who is with his people is still a God who is holy. He is still a God who is indescribable, who is incomprehensible, a God who is so great and so otherworldly that we can't just stroll into his presence anytime we want on our terms, that Moses could not enter. And it wasn't because that there was something still between him and God, something that was still there from Israel's rebellion just a few chapters earlier, something that God was still harboring there. Moses couldn't enter because God dictated the terms. God's presence, even in his nearness, was still all-consuming. It was still awesome. And in verses 36 through 38, we see that God's presence was to be with his people now continuously. That as they left Mount Sinai, as they moved on into the next leg of their journey, this presence of God that was holy, that was all-consuming, that was incomprehensible, was near. And he would be with them and he would guide them. Just like when they left Egypt, he would do so in a cloud. That cloud would represent the presence and the glory of God That cloud that was with them at Mount Sinai, that filled that mountain, that covered that mountain, that cloud would continue to go with them. And what it communicated to God's people is that the God of their exodus, their deliverer, the God who is faithful, the God who is loving, abounding in love, the God who is slow to anger, the God who is loving, abounding in love, is still with them. He will still be with them as they move forward. And what these last few verses in the book of Exodus do is connect us. They connect us to what's ahead. God's people will continue their journey to the land that God has prepared for them, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And what these verses also tell us is how that will happen. They will move on their journey towards Canaan because God will lead them there. 
God will lead them and God will guide them to their destination. When the cloud moved, Israel would move. When the cloud stayed put, Israel would stay put. God was in charge of their journey. God was in charge of their journey. He chose the route. He set the pace. Israel journeyed within God's plan, and Israel journeyed for God's purpose. What this tells us is that their deliverance from Egypt wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end of their journey. That their deliverance from Egypt was just the beginning. Was just the beginning. They had experienced after Egypt the crossing of the Red Sea. They had gotten bread from heaven, water from a rock. They had battled with the Amalekites. They had had that Mount Sinai experience with God. And what was ahead is that they will arrive in the land of Canaan because God was out in front of them and he will get them there. And what if you read the rest of the Pentateuch, the next four books or the next three books in the Bible there, what you will see is that there will be celebrations and there will be more rebellions. There will be consequences. There will be more battles. There will be an invasion of poisonous snakes because of their disobedience. There will be a bronze snake that is lifted up in the middle of their camp that they will look to to be healed from the snake bite. There will be talking donkeys that prophesy against them. There will be spies. And sadly, there will be 40 more years of wandering in the wilderness because they failed to trust God. And what we will see is that all of this mattered. All of this journey mattered. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't say to his people, hey, let's just get you to Canaan, and then we'll talk about how you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live. Let's just worry about getting there first, and then we'll figure everything else out. He doesn't say that, does he? Because along the way, the journey wasn't simply about getting to the nation. The journey was important. The journey was just as much about what God was doing to shape and form his people on their way to their destination. God was involved in every single aspect of their journey. God was shaping them. God was using the situations that they would face to mold them and to form them into his people. He didn't wait till they got to the destination. God was at work in the midst of their journey. And if you look at a map of Israel's wandering through the desert, you will see that it was a wandering, that God took them a roundabout way. Their journey wasn't linear. They didn't go from point A to point B to point C to the promised land. And neither was their formation linear. They took a step in the right direction. They would take two steps back. Sometimes it just felt like they were along for the ride. Just a deer in headlights. Just reacting to whatever came their way. When you read throughout the pages the rest of the pages of the Old Testament, the pages of the New Testament, journeys in the wilderness 
are frequently talked about. Israel's journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai, the wandering in the desert, and finally their crossing over into the land of Canaan is referred back to throughout all of Scripture. There's reference to literal journeys. If you remember back to Genesis chapter 12, when God first called Abraham, he called Abraham out of his land, away from his home, and into a different land. And what it says in the text is that Abraham journeyed throughout the desert. David, if you remember David, God had called and raised David up to be king, to replace King Saul. And because of that, Saul sought to kill David. For almost two years, David was forced to slink around the desert of Judea, hiding from cave to cave, trying to protect himself from Saul. In the New Testament, when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of faith, where the writer of Hebrews is, de- is referring back to all of the men and women throughout Scripture who have walked with God, who have lived by faith. At the end of that chapter, he writes, And they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute and mount, and afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Peter uses these literal journeys through the desert as a metaphor for the Christian life. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks, he's writing to followers of Jesus and he describes them and he calls them sojourners. People who are on a journey. People who are exiles. People who haven't arrived safe at home yet. Like Abraham God has called us. God has called people who follow him, Christians, away from a place that we used to be, a place where we used to live, and he's called us to a different place, but we're not there yet. And this is in a very real sense. This is not just in a spiritualized, ethereal sense of like, oh, hey, we we just haven't made it to heaven yet. This is in a very real way, in the way that we experience this life, in the way that we move forward in our time and in and out of the places that God has put us. Sure, there are blessings. There are wonderful experiences of God's goodness. There are celebrations. But if we're really honest and if we're living in reality, We're always aware. We always live with an awareness that there will be another mountain to climb, right? That there will be another river to cross. That there will be another battle to fight. It's easy to live in the midst of our life with the background noise of fear and anxiety and sometimes despair. Because we know and we feel, even in the good times, that things just aren't quite right. That the life that we long for, the world that we long for, is not real yet. We are on a journey. 
We are traveling. We are moving through our lives in a very real way. Some of you all know this. Um, My dad has cancer. He has blood cancer. He's also 83 years old, so uh, he's getting up there. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, he had a really bad turn and uh, contracted pneumonia and was in the hospital for a week and a half. And even though my dad's been old my entire life, uh, and I kind of knew at some point uh, that he was not going to be around uh, maybe sooner than other, you know, friends of mine, their dads, uh, I still felt, I have felt in the last month uh, that I'm moving into a different season of life with my parents, Uh, an unknown season, a life stage of caring for aging parents. And I know some of you in this room have experienced that. Some of you are experiencing that now. And it's a, it's a weird place for a child to be. And you feel emotions and you have feelings that uh, don't feel quite right. When you see parents that have always been strong, parents who have cared for you and shepherded you, parents who have been strong for you and a foundation for you not being able to be that anymore. And as an only child, that takes on an even greater weight for me. And so I'm working through that, and I'm working through all the feelings and all the sadness that's there of just knowing that, hey, the next season of my life is going to be really demanding. And I'm going to feel things and experiencing and experience things that I haven't before. And I wish that it was different. I wish that I didn't have to go through this. I wish my parents didn't have to go through this. Some of you also know at the same time um, that Jody and I have started the adoption process. Uh, We're very early on in this. It's something that we believe that God is calling us to, and we don't know what this looks like. We don't know the timeline of what that could mean for us. We're just filling out paperwork and having meetings and trying to educate ourselves on this. But honestly, I just feel very vulnerable emotionally entering into this process. Um, I don't know what this means for our family. I don't know what this potentially means for a new child coming in to our family. And even in the midst of the beauty of potentially welcoming a child into our family, the heart that's going to come with that. And all of the things that that's going to require of me, of Jody, of our kids, all the things that this new child, God willing, will have to go through. And I've been thinking a lot about this as we are moving through this book of Exodus, particularly here at the end. I've been thinking about Caitlin Bland's words to us a few weeks ago about hospitality and opening up our homes and all of the things that are involved with that. I've been thinking about it with Emily Nocton and what she shared last week of hosting a child with safe families and just how reticent she was about opening up her heart to be emotionally vulnerable, to give love to someone that they may not be able to stay in contact with or have a long relationship with. And I just think about all of this and the different seasons of life 
the vulnerability, the exposure, the helplessness that so often comes on our journey and in the different stages of our life. Ronald Rollhauser, who's an author, wrote this. The desert, as we know, is the place where, stripped of all that normally nourishes and supports us, we are exposed to chaos, raw fear, and demons of every kind. In the desert, we are exposed, body and soul, made vulnerable to be overwhelmed by chaos and temptations of every kind. But precisely because we are so stripped of everything we normally rely on, this is also a privileged moment for grace. Why? Because all the defense mechanisms, support systems, and distractions that we normally surround ourselves with so as to keep chaos and fear at bay work at the same time to keep much of God's grace at bay. When we are helpless, we are open. That is why the desert is both the place of chaos and the place of God's presence. Love that. Oftentimes, we try to keep chaos at bay, don't we? We avoid risk. And at the same time, we avoid opportunities to experience the grace of God. As a pastor, I know things. <laughs> I'm in a privileged position in many of your all's lives to just know what you're walking through to know the burdens that you're bearing and the seasons of life that you're in. I know the desert that many of you are journeying through right now. I know the desert that some of you are in, caring for your parents, caring for a spouse who is ill. I know the journey that some of you all are in with your children. I know the journey that some of you all are in in difficult relationships with your family. Uncertainty at work. I know some of the things that you're dealing with. And for others, I know the wilderness that you see approaching. You're not in it now, but you see it. And you know that you're going to be there at some point. So in the midst of all this, what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to set out when God sets out? What does it mean to stay put when God stays put. And oftentimes those questions manifest themselves in this question. I want to know what God's will for my life is. What is God's will for my life in this season? What is God's will for my life here? And the thing that I'm learning as I get a little bit older and as I get a little bit more seasoned in life and as I get to know our God a little bit better is that God's will isn't necessarily about making specific decisions though that's important, what I'm learning and what I'm seeing in the pages of Scripture is that God's will for our lives is more about becoming the people that he's created us to be. Because God knows that when the totality of our lives, our thoughts, our emotions and our feelings, the choices that we make, 
the life that we live in a physical body, in a physical world, the relationships that we're a part of, when all of those things, the totality of our lives are oriented fully around his kingdom and his will, that making those quote-unquote big decisions is our lives will fall underneath that, will be caught up in that. And so as we close this morning, I want to develop three ideas for you of what I believe it means to follow God in these wilderness seasons of our lives. And the first is that following God is an attentiveness and an awareness to his spirit. Following God is an attentiveness and an awareness to his spirit. It's asking, what is God doing? What is God doing in my life? What is God doing in our church? What is God doing in the world? Well, we know for sure that God is filling the earth with his glory, that God is doing that. That God's spirit living in us and with us, as we move as the people of God, God's glory is filling this earth. The knowledge of him is reaching out to all of the nations. We know that that's what God's doing. We know that God is setting captives free. We know that God is healing the sick. We know that God is giving sight to the blind. We know from the pages of Scripture what God is doing in the work that he is about. And when we begin to align ourselves to that end, we can know that it will be for our good as well. You see, our good is intrinsically tied. The good that we really, really want. Not the good that we think we want or that somebody else tells us that we want, but the good that we really want because it's the good that we were made to experience is intrinsically tied to his kingdom come and to his will be done. And so when we are about that, when our lives align with that, we can know that it will also be for our good. We are attentive to what God is doing, but we are also aware of ourselves and what God is doing in us, how God is working in us. Because what we know is that through the normal struggles of body and soul, as Rollheiser pointed out, that God is pushing us to our limits. That God is pushing us out of a place that is comfortable, that is predictable, where we can just relax and just let go. God is pushing us to a point where we are going to be demanded upon and exposed. And when that happens, when those seasons of life comes, when we begin to experience anxiety, when we experience fear, when we are preoccupied about us, when there is an irritability to us, when we are preoccupied with ourselves and what we deserve, when we find ourselves drifting into fantasy and what life could be like and what we wish life was like, we need to see those as warning lights from the Spirit. That's a check engine light that comes on in our lives. Because God wants us to ask in those moments where we have been pushed to our limits and we're afraid and we're angry. We feel exposed and we feel vulnerable. We feel forgotten. 
He wants us to ask, where am I out of sync with his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What false supports am I leaning on for security and for safety, for peace of mind, for peace of spirit? How have I turned away, even if ever so slightly, from God's love for me? What am I believing about myself that's not true? You see, to try and mitigate every risk in our lives, to avoid situations and seasons of vulnerability robs us of truly knowing who we are, who God has created us to be, and what he is doing in us and what he wants to do through us. Following God is an attentiveness and an awareness to his spirit. Secondly, following God, this is a hard one, is relinquishing control. Following God is giving up control. David Benner in his book, Desiring God's Will, writes, Most of us so excel at ensuring our our own ongoing supply of life's provision that we find the idea of having to come back for daily bread to God offensive. But God invites us to abandon our neurotic displays of self-sufficiency. He invites us to surrender our stolen independence and exchange it for a willingly accepted dependence. God takes our humble offering of powerlessness and turns it into a voluntary subordination. A freely chosen laying down of our life that leads to our transformation and our fulfillment. I want to avoid risking so much. I want to avoid feeling vulnerable. I want to avoid feeling like I'm out over my skis. I only want to step into things that I'm confident of or that I know how to do. And I'm not alone in this room. (laughs) Because we live in a society that is skill-driven, that is competence-driven. Everything about how we grow up in this world that we live in preaches to us the way to have what we want is to be good at what we do. Right? That's why we go to school. That's why we get training. That's why we try to do everything that we can to feel as competent as we can, to be as skilled as we can, because we want to take our future in our own hands. We don't want to be dependent on anybody else. That's the American way. That's the American work ethic. That's what we're taught. But what I see in the pages of Scripture is that our journey through life especially through the desert and the wilderness, can't be about skill or competency. So often I've lived my life with the idea that I need to be proactive instead of reactive to things. If I can just get out in front of things, if I can prepare for things, then I'll be okay. But that assumes some level of control, doesn't it? It assumes that I know what's coming. It assumes that I know what I'll need when that season comes. 
And if your life has been anything like my life, I get punched in the face. (laughs) Right? Like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's what I think when I wake up. I have a plan for my life. I have a plan for my family. I have an idea of how this life is going to go. And then I get punched in the face by this life. And my plan is in shambles. You see, if I think about adoption and I think, well, I just need more time. I need more time to think. I need more time to pray on this. I need more money. I need more stability in my life. I need to be, our lives need to to slow down a little bit, to be a little less chaotic. I'm leaning on other supports. I'm mitigating risk. I'm trying to do everything that I can do as a human being to ensure that everything goes exactly the way I want it to go. What we need to journey through the wilderness isn't more of us. It's more of God. And that's why God brings us to our end to show us that in releasing control, there's freedom. And that leads us to the last thing, that following God is actively trusting that he is God. Following God is actively trusting that he is God. What has been the thing throughout the book of Exodus that God has tried over and over and over again? The thing that more than anything else that he wants his people to know and live in, that they would know that I am God, that I am God, that they would know that I am God, that God's way is good, that we are safe with God that he can be trusted, that he knows what he's doing, that he knows how to provide, that he knows how to protect, that he's not going to leave us, he's not going to forsake us, but that the God who is sovereign over all is near and present and is leading and guiding our way. Following God, it cannot be reduced to a strategy or a curriculum. It cannot be reduced to information and instruction. Following God is knowing that he is God and living in light of that. It's setting out and staying put because we know that he is in this. We know that he is involved in this. We know that he is doing something that is greater than what we could ever project on him. It's knowing that what he says is good is really good. Knowing that his timing and that his pace and the the route that he takes us on is exactly where we need to be. How do we do this? We do it together. We do it together. We have not been set loose on this journey alone. We have a community here. We have the church. We have God's people. We have other people who are on this journey. We have other people who are experiencing the things that we've experienced. We have other people who are maybe a little further ahead 
who have maybe experienced some things that we are getting ready to experience. We have people here that love us, that are deeply invested in our good. So we pray together. We pray. We pray together and we seek God's face together. We pray and we align ourselves with what God is already doing. Remember, prayer is never the first word. It's always the second word because God's already spoken. God's already spoken. God's already doing work. God's already about filling this earth with his glory. God's already about healing people. God's already about releasing people. God's already about empowering people. He's already doing those things. And when we pray... We are acknowledging that we aren't asking God to start a new work. We are asking God to get us in on what he's already doing. It aligns our hearts. It aligns our minds. And when we pray together, it unites us together in each other's lives. We pray. We take regular times of silence and of solitude so we can actually listen to what God is saying. We are so busy. We are so hurried. We feel like pinballs, just bouncing off the different things in our lives. When God is calling us not to retreat from our lives, but in the midst of our lives to find retreat, to be with him. Do you have space, regular space, individually as a family? Do you have space where you're getting away from noise, where you're allowing God to speak, where you can listen to him, where you can pray to him? Do you have space where you can be with other people to listen to them and how God is speaking to you through them, seeking their encouragement, their voice, their wisdom, asking them to be a part of this with you? God's leading is mysterious, and we don't like that, do we? We want to know what God's doing. We want to know exactly where he's taking us. We want to know how he's going to do it and when he's going to do it. But that is not God because he is not a God, as the Israelites found out, that we can fashion with our own hands, with our own skill, and in our own timing. He is God, and he moves, not to be cliché, he moves in a mysterious way because he is God. And we have to be okay with that. And we have to move forward and trust him in that. Again, I know where a lot of you are. I know what a lot of you are walking through. But I also know that it can feel isolating and we can feel alone. And my hope is that as we leave this place this morning, that this would be sobering, that we would recognize that we would live in reality, that we would not try to escape, that we would not try to avoid, that we would not try to manipulate or mitigate, that we would live in reality, we would embrace the fact that God has called us into a journey that requires risk, but that we would also be encouraged that we're not alone, that we have him leading the way, that we have each other along the way. And we know that God will get us to where he has us, or where he wants us. And as we come to our communion time,
I am encouraged by the verse in Hebrews 12. After that, chapter 11, talking about all of these saints of old that have, they weren't superheroes. They didn't have magic powers. They were normal people like you and like me. But they were people who followed God. They were people who were attentive to God's spirit moving. They were people who gave up control of their own lives. There were people, they were people who stepped out in faith, in active trust that God is God. Because, as the writer of Hebrews says, they were looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are not in this journey alone. No matter what you're going through now in that season of wilderness that you're in now, you are not alone. You have one who has gone before you. You have one who loves you deeply. You have one who left his father's side of safety and security of all of the divine rights of being God to come and to journey in a different land, in a different world, with people who did not accept him, people who rejected him. And he laid down those rights. He laid down those privileges. He suffered. He died. He rose again. And he's back there now at his father's side, a place of honor, a place of power and authority, interceding on our behalf, doing work on our behalf, going, be excuse me, going before us in our journey. And we can know that because he has promised that he will guide us home. I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. God knows and God sees. God loves you. God cares for you. God is with you. God has a purpose that you are a part of. And God will be there every step of the way. Even if it doesn't feel like it, he is still there. I would love to talk with you afterwards. I would love to pray with you. My wife Jody would love to do so as well. Pastor Andrew and Candace. You just need to, Tell somebody, this is what I'm going through. This is what's hard. This is what's weighty. If you just need somebody to pray and just lift you up, we would love to do that. As we take the bread and as we dip it in the juice, we have stations up here. We have a gluten-free station in the back for those who need it. Would you please come? If you are a follower of Jesus, come as a declaration that this life is worth it, that the journey matters. Because Jesus has died. Because Jesus has rose again. Because Jesus Christ has promised to come back again. We can know that we are not alone in this journey. And that our journeying matters. Because God is in it. He is with us. And he is working through us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this look at the book of Exodus. We thank you for what you've taught us as a church, for what you've taught us as individuals. Lord, we ask this morning for your spirit to move in our lives, 
we ask that you would comfort us, comfort us where we need to, need to be comforted. We ask that you would give us strength where we're weary. We pray that you would bring someone else along beside us if we're feeling isolated, if we're feeling alone. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would move. And we pray that you would give us the strength to endure as Jesus endured. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.